Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. Um, welcome, listeners, to the latest edition of The Other Hand. As usual, lots to talk about. Um, I want to start off by giving a bit of a rundown on the latest demographic statistics out of Ireland in the year to April. Some very interesting trends continuing to emerge there. Uh, we want to look at the U.S. government shutdown or the possibility of a U.S. government shut, shutdown. Um, describe what's happening there. We spoke about bond markets in our last podcast. Continues to be a very relevant topic with bond yields still under significant upward pressure. And that certainly in the context of the United States brings us into a whole discussion about what's happening in the U.S. economy and particularly what's happening its housing market. And of course, China um, is an ongoing story with Evergrande back in the uh, spotlight again in recent days as the financial woes of that massive property and construction company continue to escalate. And Ukraine um, is always interesting. So lots to cover there, Chris. But uh, if I may start off by talking about the latest Irish population numbers uh, the CSO this week published the April 2023 population projections and um, the population in April stood at 5.28 million. OK, so that's an increase of 97,600, which is the largest annual increase since 2008. Um, and looking at the breakdown of that, some interesting stuff there. 141,600 immigrants came into the country which was a 16-year high, okay? And this is where it gets really interesting. 29,600 of those are Irish citizens returning from overseas to live in Ireland. 26,100 came from other EU countries. Uh, 4,800 came from the United Kingdom. And the remaining 81,100 came from other countries with 42,000 of those from Ukraine. And so while we had 141,600 immigrants, 64,000 actually departed the state. 
looking at the breakdown of those that departed, the, the, the Irish bit was interesting. 30,500 Irish citizens left the country in the year to April 23 and 29,600 came back. So there was a net outflow of just 900 people. And that certainly flies in the face of a lot of the popular narrative we hear about everybody leaving Ireland because it's such a dystopian hellhole. The other really interesting piece, I think, was the fact that we now have 806,300 people aged over 65. And as a percentage of the total population, that has increased from 13.6% in 2017 to 15.3% at the moment. That's an increase of almost 154,000. So lots of statistics there, Chris. But uh, the bottom line, I think, is that one of the sort of attributes that's used to judge the success or otherwise of a society and an economic model is population growth. And certainly Ireland, unlike many countries at the moment, um, is doing very, very well on that count. Yeah, demography can sometimes reveal a lot of dry statistics, but as you rightly say, behind which there are all sorts of fascinating stories. The immigration Emigration story, of course, is always interesting, particularly in an Irish context, given your history. But the modern experience of migration, I think, is based very much on two main factors. One is people just seeking better opportunities for themselves. And that's what Irish citizens do when they go overseas. And of course, there's the refugee thing that uh, that's the forced migration, the migration the former is very much migration by choice. The, the, the latter is, is forced migration. And I think we need to think about both these things quite separately. But you're right to point out this, that the statistics don't bear out this idea that there, there is a giant cohort of Irish people, mostly young people, uh, itching to get on a plane and go to Australia and New Zealand and Canada. If they are itching, they're not succeeding in scratching that itch by all accounts by looking at the data. Some clearly are. But it certainly ain't what I remember it from the 1980s, when, frankly, aeroplanes were full leaving Ireland and empty coming back. That was literally true in in some cases. So, yeah, there's there's lots going on, Jim. And I think, obviously, the Ukraine thing is is fascinating. Um, I think that it's fabulous that, by and large, you have welcomed these, these migrants and accommodated them, not without issues, I know, not without capacity constraints, I know, but you have been a welcoming country. And you mentioned the correlation, if you like, the connections between successful immigration and the economy. There's a reason why people come to your country, wherever that might be. And it's often because your economy is doing very well and as a people, you are welcoming. And the immigrants add to that economic story. Historically, when you look at different countries' experience of immigration, it's almost always incredibly positive in that the immigrants add to a country's wealth, add to a country's income, add to a country's productivity. They begin bring skills, they often bring entrepreneurial zeal, and they bring an awful lot of get up and go. Because the old cliche, of course, is that immigrants are the people with get up and go, because that's exactly what they do. And those are the kinds of people that forge innovation, um, and economic growth. And it's no coincidence that the countries that are very, very rich have once upon a time, if not to the present day, been very, very open to, to migration. And of course, we're thinking very much here of the United States as an exemplar of this. Migration isn't the only driver of economic growth. 
and you can get economic growth without it. But believe me, Jim, it helps. And when a country like the UK tries really, really hard to stop migration, it's shooting it itself in one of its economic feet, if you like. And I think that the UK should be more welcoming. So yeah, um, there's, there's a lot going on there. And of course, the actual population number of well over 5 million now, you're not quite back to 1850 style levels, but you're getting there slowly, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, we're almost there, Chris. Um, I think it's about the highest population since about, since about 1860. You're talking about the, you know, the nature of people who migrate. I remember seeing stats some years ago, well, quite recently, about startups in Silicon Valley. A huge percentage of those startups were from people who emigrate, emigrated into the United States. So, um, and you know, I so it, it is very definitely a an economic positive, but it does pose challenges as well. Um, you know, we are seeing the ongoing growth of uh, political extremism here, particularly on the far right. And we had a notorious protest outside the Dáil last week, for example, which I witnessed and which was pretty sinister. But the other challenges would include the provision of public services, the provision of adequate housing and the provision of adequate health care. So while the migrants coming in will, by and large, make a very positive economic contribution if given the opportunity, if integrated fully or allowed to integrate fully into Irish society. But we do need to plan for it as well. And the planning is around public services. It is around housing um, and just generally being able to accommodate a larger population. So that is the challenge because um, I don't think it would be in the long-term interest of Ireland to turn its back on inward migration. Um, it's a very important part, and I think a very desirable part of the Irish economic model at the moment. Um, if you think back to when you came to Ireland first, many years ago, uh, the Ireland I grew up in was 99.8% white Roman Catholic totally homogenous it's now a much more diverse society which i think is um by and large very very positive and i think that's one of the interesting things about uh, that group of populists shall we shall we say demonstrating against all of this there are there are so many different aspects of that we could devote a whole podcast to it uh, they are conspiracy theorists and conspiracy theorists are of a type they all tend to believe the same thing um, they're all Trumpists. They're all Brexiteers here in this country. They're generally racists, misogynists. They don't particularly like women. And curiously, there are often women who are in that group, which is one of the things that, that baffles me. And the list of attributes that they have, no matter where they are on the political spectrum, they can be left-wing populists or right-wing populists. They often display very similar characteristics. The menu of the choices that they have chosen to believe in um, the beliefs that they have chosen to acquire are often exactly the same, no matter whether they, as they say, they are left and right wing. The economic aspect of populism, and that's what I want to focus on here, and there's been quite a bit of research done on this lately, and indeed over the past few years, is, is to ask the question, and there are lots of social and political questions, of course, that should and are asked about populists. But for the purposes of today's podcast, the question I very briefly want to raise and answer on the basis of the research that we have, which is quite extensive, is are populists good for the economy? And do you know what the answer is, Jim? Absolutely not. 
Correct. And there is now abundant evidence to suggest that if you elect a bunch of populists, you are going to do yourself economic harm. Dare I say that we have done this with Mr. Johnson over here in the UK, for instance, in a mild way, not in a particularly uh, vicious populist way in the in, in the, the way that perhaps things have happened in fascistic economies and things like that. But if you elect a populist party, the chances are, based on historical evidence and data, you are going to do yourself economic damage. So what do you think that might mean for the next Irish general election, Jim? Well, that that's the really interesting question, Chris, because uh, there is a strong likelihood that there will be a fundamental shift in the Irish political and policymaking landscape um, after the next general election, which is due to be held before or by February 2025. What will be really interesting, we've spoken about this many times, it will be really interesting to see the sort of economic policy platform that Sinn Féin will present ahead of the local elections next June and then ahead of the, the general election whenever that is held. And uh, the first indicator of that we will get um, leading up to the budget over the next week or two when Sinn Féin presumably will present its alternative budget. So that will need to be analysed in a very objective way uh, but it will need to be analysed very closely to see what it means for policy. And as I say, we'll get a further uh, piece of that ahead of the local elections next summer and then ahead of the general election, whenever it happens. i got two things to say about that, yeah. Jim. One is, one is more a general one. Whenever we drift on to one of our favourite topics, which is the prospect of Sinn Féin in government, we often get, and I suspect they are Shinnabots, um, in part at least, not all of them, uh, people on our sites and various communication channels saying, oh, would you ever stop going on about the bloody Shinners? And I've got one simple response to that. No, it's my podcast and I'll play with it if I want to. The second one is I think that we can overthink the whole Sinn Féin thing in, in, the, in pure economics. I agree there's lots of political and social ramifications that are worth considering. But in terms of the pure economics, we know what they're going to do. They're going to put up taxes up for people they don't like, and that's for people with money. And they're going to spend a lot of money on housing. And the third thing is they're going to fail to solve the housing crisis. There are two; they are a two-issue, a two-part manifesto party. In that we will raise taxes on somebody else is their key fiscal measure, and their key policy, their only policy promise, is to cure the housing crisis. And for me, the really interesting thing will be, I don't know, five years down the road when they've put taxes up and increased government spending and haven't solved the housing crisis. That, for me, is, the, is, is going to be the really interesting one. Will the people of Ireland remember that they made the promise that they, don't, that they will be una unable to fulfil? Yeah, Chris, there's a, couple, there's a couple of things, comments I'd like to make on that. One is um, for evidence of Sinn Féin's policy success, look at the north of Ireland because they are in government in the north of Ireland. And I know it is a very dysfunctional government because the Assembly isn't sitting, but still Sinn Féin is in power up there. So look at their policy platform. And in areas like health waiting lists and housing, uh, Northern Ireland is not doing particularly well. I hope if Sinn Féin get into government down here, they will achieve a lot more success. Um, I heard... Uh, late last week, David Colnan, who is the Sinn Féin spokesperson on health and who hails from my home city of Waterford, uh, talking about the creation of an NHS in Ireland. And, and that's been a policy platform for quite some time. But he said on an interview on Waterford Local Radio late last week 
that um, it would take two terms in government to fully implement an NHS in an Irish context. So that, I think, is the sort of first admission I've seen that all of the promises they make about solving every problem immediately, uh, they're now starting to extend that out a little bit, which is a recognition of reality. There is no doubt about that. But it's also politically sending out a message. Well, actually, we do need and we will need two terms in government to achieve the change that we want to achieve. The question is, will the electorate buy it or not? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Or, or indeed, do they have the smarts, the brain power, the awareness, the knowledge to understand how everything in my time-honored phrase is connected to everything else and that these problems are so hard to solve, they are almost, and I stress almost, intractable because you do need an awful lot of hard work, an awful lot of smarts, an awful lot of brain power that so far has been beyond politicians in many jurisdictions, not just in Ireland, to, to solve these problems. You mentioned the NHS there, for example. The NHS was formed just after the Second World War here in the UK for health free at the point of delivery. We don't have to pay for anything. We don't pay for prescriptions. We don't pay for a visit to the GP. It's literally free at the point of delivery. As an economist, you know that if something's free at the point of delivery, the only way you can ration a scarce resource, therefore, is by queuing. So therefore, we have lots of queues. But the deeper truth behind the NHS, going back to that formation, and this speaks to the demographic part of the discussion that we were having at the top of the show, is that back in the 1940s, a couple of things happened that don't happen now. One is people died a lot younger than they are now. So the strain posed by older people on the NHS, on that free at the point of delivery thing, wasn't there. And changes in the way people live and age and medical technology have combined to produce a very different uh, demand, set of demands on the NHS back then. And I exaggerate to make a point. People went into hospital to die after about three or four days, or maybe three or four weeks at most. Nowadays, people go into hospital expecting to come out and live long lives. And so the, the healthcare demands made on uh, people with an awful lot of chronic illnesses as they get older, because one of the things about the aging population that is less discussed is that people are living longer, but they're also living the last 10 years of their lives with grave, chronic, but not terminal illnesses. And so that means that the resource strain on the system 
is, first of all, massive, and second, not what it was designed to do. And all sorts of things need to happen in order for the NHS to become sustainable. It just doesn't, it's not another reorganization. It's not even throwing money at it. Such are the, the enormous, virtually infinite demands being made on the system. More money clearly would help and it is going to be necessary. Better organization is going to be necessary. And that means confront invested interests across the whole spectrum. Um, and I could talk about that all day. But what it requires is an awful lot of focus, an awful lot of hard work, an awful lot of very good people devoted to this task, the expense of a huge amount of political capital as well as money. And so far, it's been beyond the governments in this country to do anything about. And if you're going to set up an NHS, and I wish you well with that, um, you, you, unless you want to bankrupt your country and create a, a vastly dissatisfied country, because waiting lists in Ireland are now half what they are in Northern Ireland. I expect you know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the peculiarities of the North is the way in which many Northern people say they don't want unity because they don't want to give up the NHS. I mean, at the moment, they'd be better off giving up the NHS for what you have in Ireland. But that, again, is a separate matter. Uh, other things have to happen for the NHS to be made successful. People have to work until they're 75 or at least people have to work for as long as they're healthy, I think is going to be the new mindset eventually. And can you imagine politically trying to introduce that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so there, there, um, I, I've digressed, and I'm sorry for yeah. taking too much no, time. No, it's, it's fine, Chris, but uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, but it's one we will discuss many times um, over the next year, year and a half. All right, um, tell me about the basis trade in bonds. Look, looking at what's happening in the United States at the moment, we have 10-year bond yields in the States, 452 this afternoon. Germany's at 279. Is that like a 15, 20-year high in both cases um, or something it, like that? It, it is indeed, yeah, absolutely. Bond yields, we spoke about it last week, they continue to deteriorate. Um, there's a number of things happening in the States that I think are warranty of discussion. You know, one is the US government's shutdown. Um, Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House of Representatives, who sold his soul to get into that position to the hard right of the Republican Party, in other words, the Trumpian um, cohort of the Republican Party. Um, he has refused to negotiate a temporary funding that will prevent a government shutdown in the United States. And um, There are some soundings today that actually we may be on the brink of a deal, but Moody's the International Rating Agency came out this afternoon saying that its confidence in the United States is starting to wane. Okay, it's the, the government shutdown is obviously being prompted by the Republican cohort in Congress. Um, but Moody's are saying that, you know, it'll be a short-lived shutdown. It won't do much um, economic damage. It won't threaten servicing of debt and so on. But its concern is about the message this sends out about a, a country like the United States. It says a lot about the weakness of governance and institutional strength in the United States. And I think that's something that actually resonates with your view on the United Kingdom. Um, in terms of specifically what's happening in bond markets, um, there has certainly been a growing mood over the last week that interest rates will remain higher for longer and that the prospect of a downturn in the interest rate cycle is being pushed out. Uh, JP Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon, he did an interview yesterday with the Times of India in Mumbai, 
where he says the world may not be prepared for a worst case scenario where the Federal Reserve takes rates up to 7%. That's from five and a quarter to five and a half percent at the moment. And he worries about the impact of that sort of stagflationary environment. And stagflation is the coincidence of elevated inflation, very low levels or depressed levels of economic activity. It is very concerning what is happening on bond markets at the moment because uh, to quote the, the great sage Chris Johns, everything is connected to everything else. And everything ultimately in financial markets and therefore economics depends on bond yields. One of the things that is, is I think, quite sad about the modern era because this dates back to the financial crisis is that most uh, sane, intelligent, sentient adults could go through their whole lives and not ever know about, let alone understand what the bond market is. And unfortunately, back then during the final financial crisis, um, we did get to know about bonds. And do you remember all that stuff about let's burn the bondholders in, in terms of bailing out the banks and people Indeed, I do. understand a little bit about what bonds are all about. But financial market practitioners, of course, know the importance and significance of bonds. They affect everything. And it's beyond cliche now to remember Mr. Carvel, I think his name was, uh, Bill Clinton's chief of staff, who said um, famously that um, in my daydreams and fantasies of the past, I used to imagine being reincarnated as the Pope or um, an army general or some incredible powerful person like that. That's Those are the people that wield real power in the world. He said, after my experience in the White House, I now know that the only thing to come back as is the bond market. Yeah. Then you can intimidate everybody. And that's absolutely right. The bond market is absolutely uh, crucial in all of our lives, daily lives. And people don't know this. They don't need to know this. But as I have said many times, your mortgage rate, your car loan, uh, your student loan here in the UK, I know you don't have those in Ireland, but everything ultimately depends on the bond yield, including the stock market. And the stock market at the moment is very gently, most days, um, two days out of three, going down. And I think that if bond yields stay at these current levels or indeed go higher from here, it is incredibly serious. Now, I think Mr. Diamond is wrong in that I don't think bond yields will go to 7%. If they do, I think it will be an unmitigated disaster. And I think that the sort of things that we saw earlier this year with those banks in the United States going wallop as a result of the rising bond yields back then, we're going to get repeats of that. One of the things that's also sad is the way in which newspapers such as the Financial Times, particularly the Financial Times, are carrying articles today about the basis trade. Now, people really should never, ever be exposed to this kind of stuff. I remember back in the day, Jim, when you and I were working together in a, in a dining room, the weekly profit and loss statement came out and somebody had made a huge loss and claimed that they had... Uh, the basis trade had gone wrong, and that was why they'd made, they'd made a loss. Then there was a huge row over whether or not what they were actually doing was a basis trade or not. Nobody could even agree as to what the basis trade was. But apparently, there is a huge one going on in financial markets of hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And it's our old friends, the hedge funds, doing what is called a basis trade. And it's to do with arbitraging futures markets and cash markets. So when a government issues a bond, there's always a derivative associated with it, and the two prices are supposed to move in line. If there's a tiny, tiny, tiny difference between the two, there is some nuclear physicist-trained mathematician sitting in Mayfair or Zurich or New York waiting to arbitrage away the difference. And the way they do that is they buy 
the cheaper one and sell the more expensive one, and they do it using borrowed money. And that's the key here. It's borrowed money and massive, massive, massive amounts of it in the most mind-numbingly complicated way. If you want to find out exactly how it works, read today's FT. But this uh, sniffs, uh, people are sniffing a problem here. And not not everyone thinks it's going to lead to a disaster, but there's enough people worried about it for it to be appearing in mainstream media now, the sort of thing that really should only ever um, appear on in, in Bond dealing rooms, quite frankly, between consenting mathematicians. And I would say to those mathematicians, those trained physicists, those PhD mathematicians who are doing all of this trade, stop wasting your life and do something else. Stop threatening to blow up the world economy, please. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Chris. Um, it's it, it's it's a mad situation, but uh, I don't know. Have any of our listeners uh, watched the series on? Jeez, uh, I'm not sure which of the streaming channels it's on. Sky Atlantic, billions. billions. Yeah, Bobby yeah. Axelrod. That's um, right. That's what we're seeing playing out at the moment. Um, that's right. There was actually a reference in to in that article in the FT two billions, where where a market participant was claiming it's not it's not like in billions. Actually, it is. It's exactly what's going on. It's a bunch of overtrained mathematicians um, threatening yet again to blow up the world economy with their crazy, insane actions. Guys, you're going to end up as 50-somethings with loads and loads of money in the bank and you're going to be miserable because you're going to look back and you say, well, my God, what did we actually add to the human experience? I arbitrage between cash treasuries and bond markets. Thank you very much. Good night. Good luck. You will be miserable. Go and do something else. Solve climate change and solve the problem of carbon capture. Solve the melting ice problem. Stop doing this nonsense, please. Chris, the U.S. housing market is particularly interesting at the moment. Um, I saw it described in The Economist today as being simultaneously frozen and hot. Um, Mortgage rates are up at at least 7%. That is weakening the demand for housing and for mortgages, obviously. Um, But it's also creating a serious distortion in the housing market because existing homeowners have little desire to sell because many are locked into low cost or cheap long term fixed rate mortgages. So there's a huge scarcity of second hand houses. And indeed, the Case Schiller House Price Index 20 City Index that was published today shows the first increase year on year increase in house prices in those 20 cities for um, something like five months. So that's distorting the market. But yet the the building of new houses seems to be pretty strong. Um, So there's it's it's a real distorted market at the moment. And we've spoken many times during this monetary policy cycle about the unintended consequences and indeed just the consequences of the sort of aggressive monetary tightening we've seen. And it is definitely creating massive distortions in the US housing market at the moment. And um, socially, it remains to be seen how that feeds through the system. And of course, politically. I've often thought of the US market in general, the US economy in general, as being a series of linked but multiple markets, often many of them with their own unique characteristics, overlapping with others, but sometimes very, very distinctive. And I think the housing market is an example of this in that there are very, you know, very regional characteristics to these markets. And sometimes it's difficult to discern 
what's going on underneath the hood from the aggregate U.S. statistics. Some bits of the U.S. are hot. Some bits of the U.S. are in freefall. Um, if Mr. Diamond is right and Federal Reserve interest rates are going to 7%, what that means for the housing market will be cataclysmic. I mean, make no mistake, there will be lots of other financial accidents out there as a result of 7% Federal Reserve interest rates that will wash up on our shore, but one casualty will be the aggregate US housing market. You may be able to find um, some nice houses in Long Island that even during that cataclysm will do well. But overall, I think that if the story about high and higher interest rates for much longer is true, I don't think it is, but what do I know? If it is right that these interest rates, A, are going higher and going to be going to stay there for a long time, I think you're going to get financial accidents and I think you're going to get an accident in the US housing market. And in a way, that's why I think the story is wrong, because I think we're already close to this in Europe. You know, I think we've got an economy teetering on recession. We're not at that point in the United States, but the financial accidents will be accompanied by, maybe it'll happen before or afterwards, I don't know the timing of it, but the financial accident will lead to an economic one. And so that will sow the seeds of the next fall in interest rates and bond yields. Yeah. So even if we get there, I don't think we're going to stay there for very long. Yeah. Meanwhile, the dollar continues to strengthen. Um, a, a couple of points, Chris, before I'd like to rack, rack, wrap up, excuse me. Uh, EU's chief trade negotiator overnight was warning the Chinese that their position on the war in Ukraine was hurting its global image as an investment destination. Um, and I think it is very difficult to argue with that one because certainly we are seeing a lot of investment leaving China and being diverted away from China at the moment. Um, ultimately, not good news for China. Um, in the Ukraine war situation, there was a story from the Ukrainian side that the commander of the Russian sea, the Russian Black Sea fleet, Viktor Sokolov, um, has been killed along with 33 others um, in the Crimea. You know, we continue to get all of that Conflicting evidence about what's really happening. And um, I have to say, I love the piece you write every week for a Substack account on the, U the Ukraine war diary. Um, I think it's 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 really interesting. Chris, uh, sorry, you want to say Yeah, something? no, yeah, just on that, I think it's really, there's all sorts of interesting things going on, just as the entire world has given up on the idea that Ukraine could ever make a military breakthrough. It is slowly making one in the Zaporizhia Oblast. Uh, Oblast is a word meaning region. And um, they did make, there was quite a lot of action over the weekend, actually. And they, um, heavy armor has appeared behind the third defensive line that the Russians put in the so-called Sorovkin line. So there's lots of things going on that um, it's not a huge military victory or anything like that, but that there are interesting things going on. The, the attacks on Crimea are also part of an escalating situation there. Um, I, I do write that thing every week. Thanks for the plug. If I might also plug uh, our most recent podcast that I did with Nathan Johns. Uh, the name is not entirely coincidental, of course, but he is a journalist with the Irish Times who, in his column post the rugby weekend, of course, talked about that match, Ireland's victory over South Africa, and did a proper data journalism thing on it, using the statistics to make the point that South Africa had no business losing that game, which was an interesting perspective. The article went viral, deservedly so. But our podcast that um, we've done with Nathan uh, three times now during this World Cup is proving to be increasingly popular. 
out of a in a very competitive field there are a lot of podcasts out there but please um if i might plug it again take a listen um i do think it is one of the best post rugby weekend rugby world cup weekend uh, pieces of analysis out there so yeah, thanks, I agree. thanks jim uh, I, I agree chris and the um the, the good news for listeners is that they will not have to tolerate my dulcet tones on the rugby podcast because uh I could offer nothing meaningful whatsoever to a discussion on rugby. If I may wrap up, Chris, by saying that um, at five o'clock this morning, I was lying awake in bed uh, mulling over the decision by Austin Gleeson to not make himself available for the Waterford Hurlers next year, which is a piece of cataclysmic news in Waterford GA circles. Um, But I was lying awake and I went down and got my iPad and I was looking through some social media and I started thinking about you five o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. Oh my God. Jim, this is too much information. I came across the most fascinating thread from a guy called James Nakise in OKISE. No idea who he was, but he was describing last night getting a late night train from London, London to Edinburgh and the train left London and they were en route and the message came up that this train journey had been cancelled and all the passengers were sort of asking themselves it has been cancelled but yet it's moving and when they got to Preston um, it stopped moving and they all had to disembark uh, there was no other train available there was no reason given as to why the train service had ceased at that point uh, there was no buses available and think about it they were all heading to Scotland uh, Edinburgh Glasgow etc so um, eventually, he said all of the coffee shops were closed bar one. And when all of the people started, dis- 200 people started disembarking from the train, uh, the one remaining coffee shop that was open shut down. So they were left with absolutely nothing. And eventually the train company arranged taxis to ferry everybody to Scotland. And this guy was describing he got a taxi with, I think, three other guys um describing the journey up to edinburgh uh a, a, a fabulous thread to follow to be honest and, and it's one of the reasons why uh it is worth being on twitter or x as it's now called it's stories like this but anyway the bottom line is and, and this i think is the, the key message from this nothing works in the uk unfortunately not it is yet another example out of many that uh, leads to that very conclusion, Jim. I'm getting on a train between Wales and London tomorrow and I am dreading it. It used to be the case I'd look forward to it because travelling by train used to be a very congenial experience. Settle in your seat, have a cup of coffee, read for a couple of hours and get on with the rest of your day. Now I'm just wondering how they are yet again going to absolutely screw me over tomorrow in a way that they have done almost every time I've done this journey in in recent uh, times. Um, it'll be late, it'll be delayed, it'll be rerouted, it'll be overly full, there'll be no seat, there'll be something to make the journey, to make the experience thoroughly unpleasant. And now you just have to plan for that. You have to go earlier than you would normally go, and you also have to dread it, which is a shame. It is a shame. I, I got the train recently from um, Dublin to Cork and back, and uh, it was a really pleasant experience. So Erin O'Dern uh, is running a pretty decent service most of the time. I am delighted to hear it. Yeah. On that note, Jim, speak to you next time. Yeah, yeah, there's one other thing I really should have mentioned just to congratulate your country, Wales, on reaching the quarterfinal of the World Cup. Will you say that when we beat you in the semi-final? 
Let's wait and see, Chris, okay? Speak to you, Jim. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.